Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. To this day, I'm more scared of of living a life that I'm not proud of or that I'm not fulfilled. I didn't realize that like music could be a realistic career, so I thought like oh, I do, I have to get these straight A's. Like, I, this is my only choice. And I ended up, you know, going to U of T, which is when I moved to Toronto, downtown. And I was just became very, very unhappy and realized, like, there's there's different opportunities and I just got exposed to this whole other world and I felt like myself in that world. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up y'all? This Classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up, my brother Ali? Fight Diggy, Tribe Called Quest. Eloquent, man. What up, Styles Peter Ghost. This is Ab Soul. This is K.O. And you listening to the Come Up Show where that feel-good music lives. This is show that you come up on, yeah. This is Hey, welcome to the Come Up Show podcast. My name is Chetto. I'm the host and founder of the Come Up Show and my guest today is Mac Davis, who's best known for the song Issues, which I heard earlier this year and became a huge fan of her music. Uh, she's been featured on Source.com and so many more outlets. We also had her perform at our ninth year anniversary concert this past April at the Drake Hotel. And in my conversation with Mac Davis, we talked about her decision to drop out of school, out of university, to pursue music, and what that journey was like, uh, why female empowerment is really important to her, and so much more in my conversation with Mac Davis on The Come Up Show. Let's go! Please introduce yourself. My name is Mac Davis. I was born in the deep east, 905 area, uh, moved to downtown Toronto six years ago. I was a burbs kid, but always, always coming into the city and got into music. Definitely went a lot more. Like, kids in, in the burbs are always in their basements working on music, but definitely dove into the scene when I moved downtown. All right, so tell me about your upbringing, what's, what was like growing up in your household and how that eventually led to music. Oh, it, you would have probably never predicted from my household that I would ever get into music. My parents are pretty traditional in terms of like what they expected from me. I mean, everyone in my household went to U of T. I went, I didn't graduate. That was a huge disappointment to my family because, I, I mean, I grew up, I always, I was an honor roll kid, always got straight A's. I don't think I really had any known talents other than being good at school. So I think that was something that was always expected of me. But I think the one thing that I did take from school and, and being like kind of like, I wouldn't say I was a nerd, but I was always kind of nerdy in that sense, um, was the writing. So it was really writing that got me into music. I wrote songs when I was seven years old. I have like a song book <laughs> dating back to like, being six and seven years old as soon as I learned to write, started writing songs. So it actually, I ended up, you know, going to U of T, which is when I moved to Toronto, downtown. And I was just became very, very unhappy and realized, like, 
you know, I'm doing this. I'm living for other people. So let's let's talk about the background of that. Uh, first of all, uh, you, you're a straight age student, and I'm, I'm assuming parents are immigrants. So that's that's also important, right or no? Uh, my dad, yeah, my dad um, was born in Jamaica. My mom was born in Canada. Mm-hmm. My dad's side of the family came to Canada for better opportunities. So I think that was really important. But also, you know, education is just it was always very important in my family. And I think it was kind of like, you know, go to university and then, I guess, do whatever you want. But, I mean, I also put a lot of pressure on myself because I I didn't realize that, like, music could be a realistic career. So I thought, like, oh, I do. I have to get these straight A's. Like, this is my only choice. And I think being out on my own made me realize, like, you know what? There's not just one path. And... There's there's different opportunities, and I just got exposed to this whole other world, and I felt like myself in that world. Like as as soon as I was like living in Kensington Market, mm-hmm. going to these underground shows, I started feeling like, wow, this is this is what I'm about. And like, of course, that really scared my family at first, but I did have support from my brother because he was always like rapping and making beats growing up, and I looked up to him and his tastes in music. So, mm-hmm. I mean. I think even he he said complete school first and then do whatever you want. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, I might still go back to school, but I think I I found, like, what my calling is Mm -hmm. right now. So what did you enroll into into school? And was it, like, the actual, like, course or the degree that you're pursuing that kind of threw you off? Or was it the institution of, like, academia? A little bit of both. I I actually loved – I still talk about what I was studying a lot. Um, I went – for sociology, political science, gender studies. So I'm always talking about those kinds of things. So I really loved, like, the subject matter. I didn't like the the structure so much of it. And I saw so many people graduate and just end up being like, well, I can't do anything with this degree. Or, like, you got to get a master's. So it was that. And it was also maybe even the environment. Like, I, I wouldn't take back my time at U of T, but... Maybe if I had gone to a school that was less academic and more creative, maybe I would have stuck around a little bit longer. But I just, I was looking at my life and all the things that I'm like, oh, maybe I could end up doing this. I was like, there's no way if I do that, I'm going to, I'm going to be depressed. Or at a certain point, I I had to take a chance on myself and follow my heart because it it didn't really make any sense saying it or to anyone else at the time. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just a chance I had to take. Okay. So let's go back. You said since seven years old, you had like books where you're writing songs and what inspired that and what are you looking towards to help you like what's giving you, I guess, inspiration to write and to get into that? Oh, so many things. Well, when I first started writing songs, I was writing about like really stupid things like like what? Like <laughs> I, I would write about like, oh, I want to go to the park and then write a song. And like I recess, I'd get all my friends together and we'd form like a girl group. We'd like perform it to our teacher. So I was, like, started writing about just like random things, mm-hmm. crushes um, in elementary school, which I thought was like such a heartbreak which really is like it's like hilarious reading it now um but I think when I you know started to like hit puberty and go through like those changes that's when writing became essential for me because Mm -hmm. I had all these feelings I didn't understand and you know you just feel like you're alone in the world no one understands you and I I felt like that was that was how I understood my thoughts maybe I didn't 
I probably didn't even understand what I was feeling until I wrote it down. And it wasn't only songs that I was writing. I would just write, like, I kept a diary a lot of the times. And there was something about artists, like, when I found out that they wrote their own music, I was like, wow. Like, one of the first artists, I was, like, in awe was Mariah Carey. Obviously, like, she has, her vocals are insane, but, like, I would look through the, the CD slip and see, like, her name, like, written by, and I would be like, oh, my God. And then, like, getting older, you know, there's, like, people like Sia. She has her, like, solo career, which kind of blew up. Not kind of, <laughs> very much blew up. But And then, you know, I, lo- I would look back on her credits and be like, oh, she wrote all of these so- huge pop songs. And, like, I don't know, that was always really impressive to me. Mm-hmm. And And I was also a big reader growing up. So I just loved, like, authors and finding out about their stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. I find that uh, reading has a big effect on writing. (laughs) Like the best lyricists are sometimes like, or have the best vocabulary are the people who are avid readers. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I mean, now I think I I do like thank my parents a lot. My mom used to read to me almost every night when I was a little girl. And she she read the first Harry Potter book to me and she would get really into it and do all these voices and and she really got me into like the story and then after that I would I'm like okay this is taking too long and I would just read them myself and I would you know go through a book in 24 hours and and just like I just loved reading so Mm -hmm. that probably helped my grades also but (laughs) but yeah that that definitely it was writing that that definitely was a huge thing that kind of made me get involved. Okay. And so you you mentioned Mariah Carey. Is there anybody else like her or anybody else that you were checking when growing up young, listening to music or people who had an influence on you? My brother, I looked up to him a lot and I think we kind of merged in what we liked because he liked Wu-Tang and he loved rap music and he would be like, no, you got to sit down and listen to this Busta. It was hard, like, you know, you're seven, <laughs> they probably shouldn't be listening to it, but I didn't understand all of it. But then there were songs when R&B and hip-hop combined. I remember, like, the first song where I'm like, I want to start listening to these rappers was Heartbreaker with Jay-Z and Mariah Carey because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I love how this, it's like, singing and then the rapping so i mean i i loved buster rhymes and and eminem and and all of those like 2000 when it was like really blowing up i also like i listened to a lot of stuff that probably people wouldn't expect like i loved like alanis morissette and rock artists too like i, I used to love michelle branch just because she would just be playing guitar and writing all of her songs so i liked like a lot of those singer songwriters definitely like lauren hill when i really it was after the time of oh, of no. yeah but i i just got so into that and i was like oh my goodness and so i think lauren hill was like the fact that she was like rapping and singing and her message was what really was a game changer for me like she was not just following the trends she was just like speaking her mind so I think I liked any artist male or female regardless of genre if they were speaking their mind and saying things that you know we all feel but people are afraid to say that those are the artists that I would I was like wow mm-hmm. 
So you decide that you know uh, going to university wasn't for you. What happens next after that? You want to pursue music. You're a Kensington Market. You see culture. You're seeing all this different stuff. Like, what's the next step? What happened after that? Uh, it was like a, do- a downhill spiral at first, yeah. because I had I didn't have support at first. I mean. At the end of the day, like no one was really condemning me, but it was kind of like, all right, well, you're on your own. You figure it out. I think everyone was in my family, especially. And even some of my friends were like very skeptical and were just like, you know, this is probably just a phase. Hopefully she'll come to her senses soon. And I was so set on what I was doing I to the point where I couldn't really express that to anyone because I just sounded so crazy. It was kind of a downward spiral because I was like, I think it was like the first time I really like rebelled. Not really. I, I think I was like pretty rebellious as a teenager. But like, in I made like a bold statement, and I I really took like a risk. So it was depressing at first. You know, I had to. I wasn't in school. I wasn't. You know, I, I was on my own. I had to like you know work instead to pay my rent, pay for my food. And so I realized like, okay, I'm I'm leaving. And I'm gonna pursue music, but I couldn't really do music at first because I was working all the time, and I was like, I was just stressed, and I didn't, I was becoming an adult for the first time, and I think a lot of like that underground scene was very unhealthy for me too, because there's like drugs and shady people, and you know, you're you're learning who you can trust, and and also like. I had no experience, so no one, no one really took me seriously at first. People were like laughing. I, I got shit on basically, so it was like downhill at first for a long time, <laughs> a very long time. I, like I would say, probably within the last year was when it kind of stopped. I mean, it wasn't all shit, but I mean, it was really rough at first. But because I think I had that experience in school, I was kind of like, all right. Well, this is how much work I had to put in in a university in, in one course. So I had to kind of like make my own education. So I started like just working my ass off to like, okay, I'm gonna pay for vocal lessons. I'm gonna like attend this songwriting workshop. You know, I ended up making connections that way. Someone teaching the course, um, Gavin Bradley. I was like, oh, I want to work with him eventually. So you know, I just asked questions. Um, you know, got into different studios and. You know, trial and error. A lot of that didn't work out. A lot of times, like things, most times things didn't go as I planned it to. So you, I can only imagine. So you, when you said you wanted to pursue music and you're like you're gonna finish school, you haven't had a lot of experience being in a recording studio and making music at that point. Is that right? No, I had only been to like community studios that were free, like in Scarborough, or um, you know, <laughs> crazy. Um, story. I think the one of the moments when, before I even left school, um, but when I realized like, whoa, this is crazy. This is like almost unbelievable. Um, I ended up spending the day with Ninth Wonder, like legendary <laughs> producer, because uh, one of my friends was doing photography uh, for Battle of the Beatmakers. He was like, show me around Toronto. And she's like, she was still in the East. So she was like, Mac, you need to, you need to tell me where to go. Like, let's, let's uh, come with me. And I was like, I, I guess I didn't even realize the significance of that at the time. Um, and until like, I talked to my brother and he was like, holy shit. And 
then that day, um, we went. We were at this spot on Queen Street, and Abel from the weekend was also there. And this is when he was just first blowing up through House of Balloons, and uh, Ninth Wonder was like, "I want to meet this cat. I keep hearing about him. Like, yo, like, tell me about him." So I was like, kind of, and I was like, huge like fangirl, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, I just like trying to play it cool. So, like, I was there when they met, and they wouldn't probably even remember me because I'm just, like, standing there, like, with my eyes wide open. But I was t- actually talking to, um, the uh, like, other people who Ninth Wonder was kind of touring with, and, like, they weren't even, like, they weren't artists. They were more business people, and just talking to them, and they're like, yeah, this is what we do. We go see the world, and we get paid for this and and i that was like that i did a 360 at that point where i was like oh my god this this is what people do like i don't have to work a nine to five and then i think it was probably like six months later that i dropped out of school ah okay Mm -hmm. so tell me where were you a restaurant record store Um, what was it at the time Uh, no it was like a it was like a day club um on queen and spadina it's the name has changed now i think it was cube at the time yeah yeah yeah, I think it's still called Cube. Is it? I think Maybe. it might be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's this party, and the weekend is there. Abel is there. Night Wonder is there, and then he wanted to meet. So he met Night Wonder, met him on his own, or like, or how that um, happened? Like, you just went up to him and say what's up, or? Well, it was like like Abel and his people, and then Ninth and his people, and he was just like, yeah, just just come walk over with me. I think he was just trying to like humor me because yeah. he could tell I was like super excited. Yeah. I didn't even say anything. Probably I don't mm-hmm. even know. I was just standing there like, mm-hmm. just looking basically. Mm-hmm. But I think like Abel knew who Ninth Wonder was and was like, yeah. oh, like so. I was just witnessing it. I wasn't a part of it <laughs> by any means. And okay. like at that point, there was not. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm an artist. Like I had no music to show i had like i couldn't it was like my dream at this point so so you talk to the people around ninth wonder who like this is their like life you're like whoa this is real like this actually can happen and then six months later you decide to drop out and then now you're going through this path of you're trying to find yourself as an artist but there's a lot of disappointments uh you're working a full-time job like were you scared at all during that process yeah i i still get scared To this day, I'm more scared of of living a life that I'm not proud of or that I'm not fulfilled. So I think at the time, although it was scary, it was exciting because I had never really taken a big risk before. And it was also like it was it was like an adventure. So like to me, it was worth the risk because I knew at any time I could get a nine to five and work like that for the rest of my life. If I'm doing that for 20 years, am I going to go take this risk? Probably not. So it wasn't so much scary as it was depressing or, like, lonely at certain times because at the time I didn't know too many other people who were doing what I was doing. And, like, I kind of eventually built a network of artists around me who who do understand that. But it, it was mostly hard because you're not getting any positive reinforcement at first so you're doing this and you're putting your heart into it and there's no one there patting you on the back and like especially you know your family and friends they want to be as supportive as they can but you know they're still like skeptical and you know they're just like 
they're almost more scared than you are because they're like, oh, what is happening? Probably my parents just thought I was like having a nervous breakdown and just, or just like wanted to party at first. And I did party and stuff, but like mm-hmm. I always had like the my goal there. So it became less scary when slowly like things started happening for me and people started to see that I was really dedicated. There wasn't so much of a negative energy around me. So yeah, what was you taking vocal lessons, going to community studios? What was the first big like break or when things started to change and gain momentum? I wouldn't say that there was just one break. It would there'd be like a good thing and then like probably like three bad things and then like a good thing, three bad things. It wasn't like one event. Eventually, um, I started performing around Toronto in a female crew called Black Coffee. And so I think just doing shows and working with uh, two other female artists who like I could relate to made it easier. And, And I saw like people were like, really like we were enticing to people people wanted to come out and see us so that was that was like a positive and but it was also challenging because it's it's always challenging working with other artists um but i think it was also positives all of the positives were things that no one could really see on the outside unless i told them like i the songwriting workshop that i went to i ended up meeting gavin bradley who um executively produced my ep which was like you know, at first it was just like having a session with him and like, you know, eventually he was kind of like mentoring me without realizing it. I think I, I was meeting people and, you know, I was getting opportunities to go in, in like a studio and it, it was good. But then it was like I'd get in the studio and people would be like, oh, you're not ready yet. Or they wouldn't be able to see my ideas or so. But I think it's like turning your weakness into a strength because, you know, you can't just someone says you're not ready yet you find out like what they mean and then you know you could disagree with them but you you really have to like be open-minded and and then think like all right well maybe i'll see this person again in a year and they're gonna see my growth so Mm -hmm. i think that's what i had to do to like keep going like turn every like weakness like try to flip it and it didn't it wasn't like an automatic thing sometimes Mm -hmm. things would like really get me down when people are t- telling you things like you're not ready yet, uh, how do you make sure that these people are like qualified to tell you that or or not? <laughs> like, you don't a lot of people weren't qualified. <laughs> but then then there was like unqualified people telling me you're a star. So like you, you have to like you have to like really realize and like not let what one person says like define where you think you're at I think I put less weight in people who I knew weren't because I would look at okay like so what what is this coming from like are you just a fan of music or like do you have experience what are your qualifications what angle are you speaking from because like I've had a lot of like males who probably were qualified tell me like I don't I'm not feeling what you're doing because they were like oh you need to be more sexy you need it or they but or then you know if I was being sexy then they'd be like oh like you know people are just going to be looking at your boobs so like stuff like that I just had to completely ignore whether you're qualified or not because I was so into the writing aspect mm-hmm. I had a message you can't make a comment on what my message is because that's that's mine that's my opinion and you you're entitled to yours people will always tell you you're not ready yet like 
there's always something and you know what you're never ready you're never fully ready there's always something that you can work on even if you're great it's like you know if you were watching american idol and like you might be watching this singer with like crazy pipes and they're so good and then like simon will be like well i didn't like the way you like walk to this side of the stage and it's like how important is that criticism to you and like how are you going to use that criticism i think Mm-hmm. So, uh, working with Gavin Proudly, if the, our listeners don't know, he's a, a Juno Award-winning producer. He worked with Jackson, Nelly Furtado, Leanne Rimes, uh, Serena Ryder, and so much more. Done a lot of work. That obviously must have been a big deal for you. But uh, I wanted to know, like, what are you gaining? Like, what do you? What did you learn from working with a producer like that? So much. I I'm lucky because like he's like a really down-to-earth guy. So he didn't make me feel like like he's really big and I'm really small. Like he really treated me fairly and he, you know, took a chance on even working with me. So I'm so glad I met him because I, you know, the relationship with your producer is very important. But he taught me so much even just about like coming from like a theory side in terms of like how I sing something like he would be like he would never force me to do anything but like if I was singing a melody he might be like well like all right from like a theory perspective like if you do this this could come out of it try it see if you like it sometimes sometimes we went with things that I came up with that were like totally just like counterintuitive and then and then some I think he helped me like tailor some of the things that I was doing that you know, he could hear what I was going for, but I, I had it in my head, but I couldn't really like get it out. So like, that was one of the things. And just like his experience, I, every time I was there, I'd ask him a bunch of questions just about things that were happening. Like, what would you do if uh, someone offered you this contract or whatever? And, you know, just getting his insight, so much experience, um, that was really helpful too. And they so concerned with growing big before they even plant that seed. And I see it, I get this, I'll take what I need. But you reap what you sow and you shit what you eat. One day it's coming back to me. It's coming back to me. So uh, let's talk about the song Issues because that was definitely a hit, a big song for you, and that's how I discovered you, and I think maybe a lot of people as well. Uh, t- tell us about that song, what it did for you, what that song is about. and That song, I'm, I'm so happy that it's that's been the song that um, has done well because I actually wrote it in probably 10 minutes, and it was one of those things where, like, when you're just, like, on fire and you just you just get it out and it just it just happens. And that was, like, a result of, like, my experience in going from this structure of school to, like, this disorganization of, like, the underground scene, which is, like, very cliquey, so many politics, and just feeling lonely. And also, you know, everything just, like, it was all, it was really about my insecurities and, like, how how I mask them and how we all mask them as a society and you know, body image issues and pain that we mask through like drinking and smoking and all of those like social politics of that that came with like immersing myself in this scene. The frustration and it was kind of like 
people decide if they want to talk to you, they go look at your Instagram first. That's the reality of the generation and, and the world we live in now. And it's like, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover, but we do. So that's kind of what I wrote it about. And a lot of people who I, I, sh- I had it like on a voice note on my phone and I showed some people and they're like, you know, it's too wordy or like people aren't really going to like feel this, you know, it's almost too real. I think that was like the reason that it took off because like it doesn't really matter like whether you're in like the hip hop scene or like where you are. I think everyone can relate to that to some extent, like everybody has some issues, some personal issues that they're struggling with and I kind of just felt like I was crazy at that point in time. So that's why I was like, I, I got some issues with my sanity, like trying to st- sort out my mental state as well. So mm-hmm. in terms of what it's done for me, like SoundCloud, I think it's like 20,000 plus listens. And like, and like that happened so quickly. Like it was like, whatever. And then like within a couple of months, it just like, just kind of like went off. So I'm I'm happy about that. And like, you know, that's, it's also like it's it's a sound, you know. Uh, so your EP over the influence, uh, you said you planned to release it three years ago, and it took longer than you expected. So what happened in that journey? Um, well, I wrote a lot of the songs like a, a long time ago, so I I kind of had to pick the songs that I found the most timeless, and then I didn't just leave them as they were; I changed them. But I was like. I was in different studios, you know, I had fallings out with with people. I had people hold my music from me and be like, ah, whatever, I'm not giving this to you. I had to like, you know, redo certain things financially. That was like one of the biggest um, holdups because, you know, again, I was trying to support myself. Um, You know, I was buying like a mic and you know, trying to pay for all of these things where it's like I barely had money for food. <laughs> so and I also I wanted to do it right. I I, I held off because I'd, I wanted to I didn't want to just like half ass it and have people not understand what I was going for. And I ended up getting um, applying for the first grant that I ever applied for, which was a Toronto Arts Council grant. And I got it. And I will never forget that feeling. I literally I was like, getting a pedicure and I like literally almost kicked the girl in the face because I opened my email and I just like screamed because that amount of money like in terms of music what what it costs to put out music it's not really a lot of money but for me I was like oh I I made the most out of like a hundred dollars so like any anything was like helpful to me so financially it took a while you know I wanted to like get a certain amount of hype which I came to a point where I was just like, fuck it. I need to have music out and it might catch on. It might, it might not. I know I have other music. I know like this is my starting point. I know I'm always going to get better. So I was like, you know what? It's time. Like I, I wanted it to feel right intuitively also. Yeah. So I, I noticed, yeah, the Toronto Arts Council, cause you have the logo and certain things and Artists have mixed feelings about grants because there's some of them that say, I've applied this many times, I ain't got shit. And then you said this is your first time applying and you got it. So what do you think you did right? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I wrote tons of essays in my time in university. So I'm not going to lie. I'm a strong writer. If you're not a strong writer, like get someone who is or, or get a grant writer. But also I think like different grants look for different things 
So I really like I did my research. We are so lucky in Canada. There are so many resources for arts and people don't know about them. And that's actually when things started taking off for me when I was taking advantage of those things. I went to there's things like sponsored by Toronto government and Canadian government in general that give you these resources. Like I went to these grant writing workshops. I took the time to go speak to these people who look at the grants and ask them questions. I called the grant officer and asked questions. Like I really, I, I, it wasn't like a fluke. Like I really put effort in. I had it edited. I had people read it over. Um, and also I, I wasn't just like, oh, give me money. Like I knew what I wanted to do with the money. I think they saw that I had done things with my own money. So, you know, if you can manage your own money, they can trust you to manage their money. And I had a meaning behind it. I had a, there was a purpose. So I wasn't just like, yo, I want to put out music because it bumps. Mm-hmm. Like they, like grants, if you're going to apply for a grant, have a purpose. Like some grants want you to want to know that you're going to sell records. So prove that you can sell records. And some grants want to know that you're going to like do something to change the music community. So like, what are you going to do? I, like, I'm not an expert, but like that from like what I've researched, like that's, that's why I got the grant because I had done my research, like, do your research and and don't just cry because no one's going to hand you money for no reason. <laughs> Real talk, you grinded, you did your research, you put in work and and this is where writing and it's also helped you out as well too. So to those artists who are listening, don't cry and you know, you're lucky to be in a country that gives, you know, millions of dollars a year to arts and culture, right? Yeah. Uh so the EP is called over the influence that's that title right there what does that mean you know people say you know under the influence but over the influence um i definitely like wanted to play on like drug metaphors but it's like beyond drugs because i think anything can become a drug you know some people are addicted to food some people are addicted to love um so the title um was about like separating yourself from things that are consuming you and and controlling your actions so even just like literally like over the influence like people telling you how to live like when you're just kind of over that it's just kind of being above that control whatever's controlling you a lot of people think like i i chose that title to say like don't be under the influence like don't drink like it's not about that it's like deeper than that Mm-hmm. Well, it is there, like in terms of uh, like talk about the aesthetics of your branding as an example, the artwork for over the influence and the website and stuff like that. You got pills and stuff. Tell me more about that for our podcast listeners. Well, a lovely illustrator, Ariel Rose, did my um, artwork. I just loved her style. So that was like, oh, I would see her illustrations and be like, wow, that inspired me because you know, we're such a drug obsessed culture. And I'm not going to say that's necessarily bad. Like, you know, I've experimented with my share of drugs and stuff too. Um, But it's like people don't think about the consequences. And I'm not trying to sound like luxury at all. But it's like there's this glamorization of, of it, like, you know, popping Xanax and stuff and, you know, you know, popping perks. And when you do that, your mind state like for me like yo it it really changes your mind state and it really like puts you in a different place sometimes where it's like hard to not even about like you know drugs make you bad whatever it's like 
whatever you could do all the drugs you want but if you're not aware of the effect that it's having on you like you're gonna eventually like spiral i thought it was like cool to just like play on those like pills and actually like make it ironic like you know have some like pink pills they look really enticing they look fun like it looks almost like really cute it's so like obvious that it's like it makes you like rethink like what it actually means in terms of like beyond your health but like depending on anything it would be my goal to not depend on anything like whether it be coffee i'm drinking a coffee right now Mm -hmm. but we all have dependencies and like habits uh so you primarily work with a team of girls females and you're all about female empowership and you want to empower women and if that's really important to you about the girl squad girl gang tell me more about that yes (laughs) um shout out to my girl gang Um, is, that a, is there an actual name for them? Like, is it like not just gang gang? Like, is it girl squad or girl gang? Is that it? Or just like... Um, you know what? We're working on like a collective and, and putting our, ourselves out there together as a collective. So you'll see you'll see that in the future. I don't want to like give anything away at this point. But yeah, that's definitely something that's coming. But I mean, when I say like girl gang, I'm talking about not only just like the female artists who I work closely with but also like you know the female like business people who like I've come across and have really like helped me excel and also just like the female support of just like I have like some of my best friends who aren't artists at all totally different fields but they'll still come to a show or like they'll model for me or they'll like come on stage and like I think like that female support is beautiful because we need more of that. Sometimes you you can't get along with every single person, but I don't think I would be where I was today if it wasn't for who are about healthy competition and not just like pettiness of like fighting over dudes or like I'm better because I think like media tells us like media compares two females who are in different lanes all the time. Like you always hear like, who's better Rihanna or Beyonce and it's like you know they're both huge pop artists but they're in different lanes it's like we can exist together and still be great individually and and still support each other girl gang it's like don't get me wrong I work with a lot of guys I have a lot of guy friends a lot of times like people would know me like I walk into a party and I'll show up with like seven girls and and we're like we're about our business and we're like we got each other's backs and I, I think that's that's like girl gang like that's what it's all about that's really dope yo wrapping up our interview um anything else that you wanted to say to people who are listening they are fan supporters and they're also there's people who are listening who are creatives or artists you know there's people who just started school this month (laughs) anything you want to say stay in school no i'm joking (laughs) um uh the thing that's happened this year that i'm really excited about is people following my growth and like being with me like through social media and like being with me through ups and downs so i want to say like please obviously check out the music on soundcloud um the mac davis is my social media handle on instagram twitter uh soundcloud so check it out and i hope you enjoy it and and dive into it and you know maybe like smoke a j and just listen to the whole thing (laughs) but 
also like I'm really proud of my growth and I want to keep growing and I'm not afraid to like share my vulnerable side of like things that don't go well so if you're pursuing anything whether it be school or music I love creating that network on social media of like you know support so yeah so it's all about support and love thank you very much I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mac Davis. What did you think? Comment on uh, SoundCloud or at The Come Up Show on Twitter. If you haven't already, subscribe to The Come Up Show podcast and our newsletter. All the links are in the description below. My name is Chetto. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next Wednesday. Peace. Peace.